Last Sunday, we started this series through this ancient wisdom literature book, the book of Ecclesiastes. And if you weren't here last Sunday, or if you were and you just want to be reminded of these encouraging opening lines, he says, meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. So we just know from the get-go, this is going to be a great book uh, to plow through. Um, I want to pick up where we left off last Sunday. I'm going to pick up in chapter 1, verse 12. If you want to follow along, there's Bibles under the chairs in front of you. It's uh, right after Psalms and then the book of Proverbs, and you get Ecclesiastes. And uh, this is a a teacher. Uh, The Hebrew for teacher here is koleth. It means a leader of the assembly. So um, he's a king. He's a teacher. He's the leader of the assembly. And he says, I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. Uh, This teacher is similar to Job in that when he talks about what feels meaningless, when he talks about pain, and suffering, he can't help but also talk about God and in some way implicate God in the pain and the suffering. Uh, There's a story about Jews in Auschwitz and they convened uh, a rabbinical court and they put God on trial. And the charge was God has abandoned us. And they had testimony after testimony after testimony and at the end of the day, The charge was guilty. God has abandoned us. And then the rabbis got up and led evening prayer. Uh, There's something within us that even when we feel God has abandoned us, even when we feel like God is to blame, there is nowhere else to turn, is there? That there is a deeper sense, something deeper still that tells us, no, God is present. God is with us. And even though I may not understand what is going on, even though I may not understand the pain and suffering of the world, even though I don't understand the pain and suffering I'm experiencing, somehow God is here. And God is present. The teacher feels that this is a heavy burden. This is a heavy burden, God. Uh, that we carry with us the the confusion of the the pain and the suffering, our own and that of the world. He says, I have seen all things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Um, I can have the next slide. I think these guys must have read the book Ecclesiastes. Uh, (laughs) Dust in the wind. I'm, I'm fascinated by how popular this song got. Because it's, it's not a hopeful song. It's kind of a despairing song, right? And yet it got extremely popular. And not just in the rock genre. It was like, I think it hit number one on the country music charts. It, you know, other, it just spanned the genres. Something about the song resonated for people. This sense of, yeah, it, is, it, is there meaning to life? Is it all just dust? Uh, and when we think about the, the Hebrew word for meaningless, hebel, 
Uh, we talked about last week how it literally means vapor or breath or mist. It, it's here for a little while and then it's gone. Uh, is it all just dust in the wind? Is it meaningless? He says, what is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. He, he, he's like this sense of, you know, something's broken, something's crooked, something's wrong, and I, I've tried, and I just don't know how to make it right. I said to myself, and this is a constant refrain in this book, him saying, I said to myself. He, he's got this internal dialogue going on, so don't worry, it's not just you. Uh, he, he talks to himself, too. Uh, and it's this constant kind of internal wrestling and internal conflict uh, that he is going through, trying to figure things out. And it is their purpose. He said, look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. So he's not a very proud person. Uh, I have experienced much, that was a joke. Uh, I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also madness and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. Uh, have you ever experienced this? That the, the more you know, it actually causes more pain. Uh, you know those commercials, the more you know? Or, or the knowledge is power? What, what if a new commercial came out, the more you know, the more pain? Uh, probably wouldn't go over too well. But isn't this true? When we expose ourselves to the heartache of another or the heartache of the world, like it, it's painful. And the teacher is saying, I, I, don't, I don't know if it's worth it to gain wisdom and knowledge. I don't know if it's worth it to have understanding because it sucks. It's hard. It, it's painful. Uh, Proverbs says this. Uh, thanks for keeping that Kansas pick up for so long. Uh, the beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, though it cost all you have. Get understanding. Uh, often in our Western culture, because we're driven so often uh, by a, a market-driven culture, we look at this and say, oh, yeah, get I mean, college bills, graduate school bills, uh, get it. Even though it costs so much money, do it, because it, it's worth it, even though it costs all you have. And, and while I think that may be part of what the author of Proverbs is saying, I wonder if the author of Proverbs is saying, though it cost all you have. Not, not just money, but though it may cost you pain. Though it may cost you your life. Get understanding, because it's better than foolishness. It's better than lack of wisdom. Uh, gain wisdom. Gain knowledge. It's going to cost you something. It's going to be painful. Uh, last week we talked about people who did the right thing and still got burned. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who pursued the right thing, leading the civil rights movement, and still gets persecuted, jailed, and ultimately killed for it. Jesus, he did the right thing, pursued justice and righteousness and love and peace and joy, 
and he got nailed to a cross for it. Uh, sometimes the, the, the author here, I think, is tapping into a different kind of wisdom, a wisdom that uh, when the Proverbs often tell us, uh, do the right thing and you'll be rewarded, or, or seek wisdom and you will prosper, and seek the way of the fool and you will be on the path to destruction, the author of Ecclesiastes is in some way saying, I sought the right path. And it still feels meaningless. So what, what's going on? Uh, where is meaning? Where is purpose in our lives. With much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. Uh, Maybe we should pursue the way uh, Wendell Berry tells us this. Praise ignorance for what man has not encountered, he has not destroyed. Uh, Interestingly, he, he writes this in the context of a book he wrote about taking care of the environment. Uh, And his pal, Aldo Leopold, said this. One of the penalties of an ecological education is that one lives alone in a world of wounds. He said, the more you know about our current planetary crisis, the more painful it's going to be. Because you're going to have to realize you're going to have to make some changes to your life. You're going to have to sacrifice something. It's going to cost you something. If you want wisdom, knowledge, if you want meaning and purpose in life, it, it's going to cost something. Uh, next slide. Would we like to lack understanding to avoid the pain? I think that's one of the questions the teacher is asking, and it's one of the questions we ask ourselves. Uh, sometimes we just want to block ourselves off to the pain around us. Uh, Often, we want to block ourselves off from our own internal pain. We suppress it, we push it down, we hide it, we ignore it, because we don't want to deal with the pain. Uh, we, We ignore so often the pain of the world, or, or when we read the news or watch the news or listen to the news, it's just kind of just, it's another day of news. And it just kind of becomes surface reality rather than the deep pain that we know exists in the world. Uh, so I think we regularly need to wrestle with this when it comes to ourselves and our own pain, when it comes to the pain of those closest to us, when it comes to the pain of the world, uh, are, are we going to block ourselves off or will we enter into the pain so that in some way by God's grace that pain can be transformed into something different and new and by God's grace something beautiful. The teacher continues chapter two. I said to myself, there he goes again. He's talking to himself again. I said to myself, come now. I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved meaningless. So he's going to go through this uh, list of things that he uh, entered into, that he attempted, that he accomplished, uh, and see if he can find some meaning in them. The first is laughter. I said, laughter is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. 
I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. Uh, so many scholars believe what, what he's attempting here is to restore Eden. He, he's trying to create a new Eden and bring back that which was declared good, 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 and very good. And, and so he, he plants these vineyards and gardens and fruit trees and, and th this beautiful lush area. And, and he says, it just, it left me empty. Uh, he's trying to recreate something that God created once as good and beautiful. And he said, it, it just, it didn't fulfill he says, I, I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves, well, that might be part of his problem, uh, who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delight of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In, this, in all this, my wisdom stayed with me. So this is kind of like uh, he's king of Jerusalem, and here he is declaring all his accomplishments. Uh, do we know yet if the State of the Union is going to happen? It, I, I, don't, I hadn't heard if it's going to happen or not. I know the shutdown ended, so that's good. Uh, but this is kind of like State of the Union. Here it is. Here's my greatness. Here's all my accomplishments. Uh, but he ends it with saying, but it's meaningless. It's just vapor. It's, it's nothing. Uh, he said, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Uh, Next slide. I, I think he's engaged in managing the meaningless, or uh, what a friend of mine refers to as vapor management. Uh, it, it's this sense of try, uh, uh, hoping that we'll find fulfillment in our accomplishments. Hoping we'll find fulfillment in the 401k that gets bigger. Ho hoping we'll find fulfillment in the house or the car or the, the whatever. Uh, have you ever really wanted something? Uh, and then when you got it, you're like, that's it? That's it? Uh, like, have you ever wanted that car? Fill in the blank. What are, name of it. And then one day you got it. And then after a few months, you're like, it, it's a car. It drives, it gets me where I want to go, it gets from point A to point B, but it, it doesn't bring your life meaning. It, it doesn't bring your life purpose. I think the teacher was attempting to find meaning and purpose in what he did rather than who he was as an image bearer of God, rooted in God's love. Uh, and, and so he is searching, longing. I think there's a deep longing for purpose, and he's looking for it in all these different places. And he says, it, ultimately, they're, they're vapor. They're, they're meaningless. 
He says, I turn my thoughts to consider wisdom and also madness and folly. What more can the king's successor do than what I've already done? I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. So he, he, he has these windows of uh, enlightenment, if you will. Like he, he recognizes, oh, wisdom is better than folly. Light is better than darkness. Uh, but then I came to realize that the, sa- the, fate, the same fate overtakes them both. Then I said to myself, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? I said to myself, this too is meaningless. For the wise, like the fool, will not long be remembered. The days have already come when both have been forgotten. Like the fool, the wise too must die. So he, he's having this internal conflict of what, what does it matter? I'm going to die. Uh, wise people die. Foolish people die. So, what, And we're not going to be remembered. What does it matter? And, and I mentioned last week the irony of that is that 2,500 years later, this guy's remembered, isn't he? Here we are, 2,500 years later, a whole crew of us paying attention to his words. Uh, There's something about this and why it's been preserved for 2,500 years that still speaks to us today. And I think a big part of it is because we wrestle with these same questions. He comes to a place now where he says, so I hated my life. Because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Uh, This guy's hit rock bottom. And what I think we have here in this book, or one of the things I think we have here in this book, is an episode of someone's life. Not the totality of their life, but an episode of someone's life. And something I so appreciate about this book being preserved for 2,500 years is I think we all encounter these episodes in our life. There are seasons of life where we just hit rock bottom. We come to the end of ourselves. Uh, We ask the hard questions about life. We may even get to the point of saying, I hate life. I don't think this is the totality of this man's life. I think it's an episode, and I think it's one we have related to, or maybe we are relating to, or we will relate to. Uh, If you've had teenagers, or you have teenagers, or you're like me and you're about to have teenagers, uh, they may say at some point in their life, I hate my life. And what they need from you more than anything in that moment is your presence. And to just say, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. That's all they need. They need your presence, your love, your empathy. Uh, I'm I'm so sorry. Uh, And for many of us, our, our children will go through seasons of life where they hate life. Uh, They'll go through a season of life where they they just simply need to deconstruct life. I think this teacher is deconstructing his faith. He's deconstructing his life. He's saying, I was raised with certainty and absolutes and, and all the right answers, and I just don't buy it anymore. And he's deconstructing all of it. 
And that deconstruction is necessary if there's ever going to be a reconstruction of something new. And so when we experience people in our lives who are deconstructing their faith, de deconstructing life, we, we need to entrust them to God and be present in that deconstruction. And if by God's grace, we are allowed to be a voice in that experience, if by God's grace, we are allowed, invited in, and many teenagers just won't let you in, and we, we have to be able to accept that too. But if by God's grace we're invited to be a voice, or by God's grace God brings somebody else into their life to be a voice, and if by God's grace as they begin to reconstruct, and it might not be till their 30s or 40s or even 50s, some, some people never are able to, to make that turn to reconstruction. But if by God's grace a reconstruction begins to emerge, uh, their faith that gets reconstructed, it might, be, it might look different than yours. And that, too, is okay. If we can release the belief that we got it right, that we got it all nailed, and allow for the next generation to experience what the Spirit of God is doing in them. Uh, I think we're going to be okay. There is something about trust and releasing and being open to the next new thing and just being present in love uh, and God's grace that can and will flow through us uh, to others. He says, I, I hated all things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to one who comes after me and who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish. Yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. So he, he's not only hating life, he, he's depressed. My, my heart began to despair. And so we're dealing with an individual here who had it all. He had it all. He had the houses. He had the chariots. He had the gardens. He, he had it all. He said, just, no, it, it didn't bring me joy. It didn't bring fulfillment. A person may labor with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then they must leave all they own to another who has not toiled for it. This too is meaningless. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days their work is grief and pain. Even at night their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. So th uh, this is... Um, something very different than what we get in Genesis 1 and 2. Genesis 1 and 2, uh, we see God creating the world, and uh, at the end of it, Genesis, uh, the seventh day of creation, it says, and God rested from all his, what? Work. 
Uh, and in Genesis 2.15, we get this beautiful text where uh, God entrusts everything to humans to work it and take care of it. Uh, this is before the story of Genesis 3 where we're told everything goes haywire. And so God created work and created it good and beautiful. It's supposed to bring meaning and purpose and fulfillment. And yet, it has gone haywire, hasn't it? And it often feels wearisome and toilsome. And so I think part of the thing we're invited to discover is the meaning and beauty and purpose in it. Uh, and for the teacher, he, he's wrestling with that. Like it doesn't feel meaningful to me. It doesn't feel purposeful to me. Uh, what is going on? And then we begin to see this little shift in the teacher, uh, uh, one of these windows of enlightenment that I think he has from time to time. And he says this, a person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? Uh, he has this, this window open up. And he realizes, I think part of what he's realizing is we are invited to embrace the present moment and enjoy it and recognize it as sheer gift from God. Uh, that, that we, yes, we must wrestle internally with our, with our pain. We, we must recognize the pain of those around us the pain of the world. And yet somehow within it, we can find fulfillment and joy in our work, in our relationships, in the things we engage in. Uh, again, from the Proverbs, it says, many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. What a person desires is unfailing love. I think within the teacher is something that's within all of us. And it's this deep, deep longing for union. It's this deep, deep longing for communion. And in a couple of minutes, we're going to practice just that. One of the names we give this is communion, because we as a community come and partake together to experience union with God and union with each other. There, there's a deep longing within us for relationship and to recognize our, our purpose isn't found in what we do, but it is found in something deeper. It is found in the creator God of the universe who created us in love and holds us in love and is restoring us in love. And, and that love of the creator God of the universe is found in each person here. And we are invited to live it, and we are invited to experience it with each other. And so all these things the teacher pursued to try to find meaning and purpose, uh, 
I think there was something behind the thing, and he hadn't quite gotten to it. The thing behind the thing is always the presence of God. And that we can find deep meaning and purpose in the work of our hands if we do it in such a way that we're living from the desires planted within us from the beginning to engage in that work in a deeply purposeful and meaningful way. Uh, C.S. Lewis has this really beautiful quote about this. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but uh, he's talking about uh, finding this desire, the thing that just feels hidden, that feels like behind something. Uh, And he says, these things, the beauty, the memory of our own past are good images of what we really desire. But if they are mistaken for the thing itself, they turn into dumb idols, breaking the hearts of their worshipers. For they are not the thing itself. They are only the scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a far country we have never yet visited. Uh, When we are engaging in life's activities. There, there is something we're desiring. There is something we are longing for, uh, to find it meaningful, to find it purposeful, to, to find satisfaction from it. Uh, and I believe we can when we recognize that there is something deeper driving us into our work and our toil. Uh, when, when we pursue it just for the thing itself, it, we're going to feel empty. We're going to feel wanting. And yet when we engage it with something deeper still, this longing from God, that helps wake us up to the reality that the, the work of our hands is always meant to bring God glory and to benefit the world. Uh, there is deep meaning and purpose behind the work of our hands, because there is something rooted in God's love driving us into it. Uh, And so this morning, as we come and we take bread and we dip it in the cup, that it's not the the thing itself. This isn't God. But somehow, God's presence is enlivened in it and in us. And, And somehow, God wakes us up to something deeper still. And so this morning as you come and take a piece of bread and dip it in the cup, I simply want to invite you. uh, What is the thing driving you right now? Uh, Or what is the thing maybe that's consuming you right now? Uh, That's just, the mind's just racing, whether it's your job, or your kids, or your parents, or another relationship, or that project, or uh, your finances, whatever it is, what is the thing that's just driving you, racing your mind? I simply want to invite you to take a deep breath and say, that thing does not define me. There is something deeper that defines me. And as we come and take the bread and we remember Christ's body broken for us, Christ's blood shed for us, that that this Jesus, 
who did pursue the way of wisdom and it brought pain and suffering. He, he showed us how to take pain. He showed us how to take suffering. He showed us how to die. That uh, this Jesus is present with you in your pain, in your suffering. Uh, this Jesus is present to the world in its pain. Uh, as you take the bread and dip it in the cup, I simply invite you, whatever that thing is that's consuming you, to, to give it to God with open hands and then receive the gift from God to fill you back up and ask, simply ask God to fill you with his love and with his peace. God, we thank you Thank you that you are present to us. And whatever pain we're carrying or whatever pain those we love dearly are carrying, that you are present to them in that pain. You are with them. God, this morning I pray that you would help us take one more step on the journey and to release to you the things that consume us, to name that those things do not define us, and to embrace our deep identity to be found in you. As we take the bread and dip it in the cup, God, meet us in that moment of mystery and fill us up with your presence. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.